I get to start a brand new series today. Uh, and it's a series unlike many others in that I have been looking forward to this and planning for this for a number of months now. This is a series that is not just going to be four weeks for our church. This is really going to be a theme for us throughout this whole year. Um, it's going to lay some foundation and some groundwork for what I believe God wants to do in our lives as individuals, what he wants to do in our lives corporately. Uh, I'm going to challenge you today to take notes. If you didn't bring a notepad or pen, you can write on the back of your Daniel Fast packet. You can get out your phone and use your notes app, put it on airplane mode so you don't get distracted uh, and allow God to speak. But I, but I really believe there's going to be some foundational stuff in here that's going to impact your life as we move through this year, uh, through this series. Um, I plan to do four weeks but I put an asterisk on that because I've got about eight work weeks of ideas. Uh, we might go into February. We might go into March. Uh, we'll just see what happens. Uh, but I'm super fired up for this. And I hope and pray that you allow God to speak to you. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, we find one, the 2 Kings, yes, 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, we find a story. It's only seven verses long. But it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. It's one that I have not taught on in a very long time. Uh, and I think it's going to lay the foundation for us as we move through this year. It's a story called The Widow's Oil. How many of you have moved from one house to another house? Show of hands. Most of us, okay? Almost probably all of us have moved at some point in time uh, from one house to another house. We had the opportunity to do that this fall. Uh, we were blessed with a new home, and God moved in, in an amazing way in our lives. And we moved from a smaller home to a much bigger home. And despite moving into much bigger space, something weird happened as we were preparing to move. We started getting rid of a lot of stuff. Uh, it, it's amazing when you move how much stuff you realize you don't need, uh, how much stuff is slowing you down, how much stuff is in the way. How much stuff may have been important at a previous season in life, but it doesn't matter in this season in life. Uh, when you move, as you prepare to move, you actually make room to move. Even though we were going to a much bigger space, the, you would think we would start acquiring stuff. We'd be needing more stuff, but man, we got rid of a bunch of stuff. I believe that a move of God oftentimes works the same way. That if God is going to move in your life, in our ministries, in our church, in our city, that in order for God to move, we're going to have to start getting some stuff out of the way. We're going to have to start removing some things that are no longer of value, some things that are slowing us down, some things that are in the way. I believe God wants to move in your life this year. I, I think if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of us want more from God in 2023 than we saw in 2022, most of us would raise our hand. Uh, I think most of us would say, hey, I need something from God, even right now in this season. 2022, if I'm being honest, other than our Christmas Eve services, which were incredible, 2022 didn't end that great in my life. We had sickness, we had flu in our family, we had COVID run through our church, we had a number of people who couldn't perform in our Christmas Eve services because of COVID. We had a pipe bust on Christmas Eve while we were rehearsing for our final, our final rehearsal for our services. We had four men in here, absolute heroes, uh, until like 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. Christmas Eve. Man, pushing water out, cleaning things up, drying things off because of a busted pipe. 
2022 didn't end my favorite way any year has ever ended. Not only that, I went to North Carolina Christmas Day. We drove to North Carolina, and my mom is not doing well. I got to go see my mom in a rest home. And the, the first thing that happened, or one of the very first things, my, my dad, when he goes in to see her, her, her mind is, is starting to, to leave. Uh, and so he asked her questions to try to jog her memory. And so one of the first things he asked her when I went in with her is, how many kids do you have? And my mom didn't know how many kids she had. And she'd just been out here in September, and she was completely with it. I mean, we're talking about has just dropped off a cliff very, very quickly. Um, you didn't end great in my life. I don't know how it ended in your life. I want something different in 2023 than I experienced in 2022. I want God to move in my life, in my family, in our church in 2022. And so I want to make some room for God to move. And I want to empower you to make some room for God to move in your life. So with all that being said as way of introduction, let's go to the Word of God. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to ask you to do something I don't often do. Would you stand as we read the Word of God this morning? We're going to read these seven verses together. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. If you don't know Elisha, he is this man who, who is the understudy to Elijah. Elijah was the primary prophet in the book of First Kings. Elisha is the primary prophet, as we see here in the, the beginning of Second Kings. He's received this ministry from Elijah. He's the, he's the big shot in Israel, in Judah. Uh, and the wife of a man who is also a prophet cries out to Elisha. She says, your servant, my husband, is dead. She just lost her husband. And, know that, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. This lady has just lost her husband. She should be mourning the loss of her husband. She should be, man, uh, saying goodbye to him, but she doesn't have time to mourn the loss of her husband because she's about to lose her sons as well. What a desperate situation. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her. Elisha doesn't have very good bedside manner. He says, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? No encouragement. No, God's going to move mightily in your life. No, don't worry, God's up to something, right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't say the thing we expect the man of God to say to make somebody feel better in a desperate situation. He's, what do you have in your house? And this isn't an encouraging question either, because the answer is not much. She said, your servant has nothing there at all except... A small jar of oil, excuse me, of olive oil. Verse 3, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Everybody say empty jars. <laughs> Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her sons, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this example in Scripture of what happens when we make room for you to move. God, in a desperate moment, in a moment that seems hopeless, God, you had a plan to provide in this lady's life. And she lined up with your plan, God. She participated in your plan. And in the same way, God, we ask that you would help us to be participants in your plan today. God, we believe that you have a plan to do something greater in our life. God, in this season, in this month, in this series, in this year, God, you have a plan to do more through us 
in ministry, God, to, to provide more for us relationally, to do more for us in our walk with you. In a million different ways, God, you have a plan. And so help us to line up with that plan and to see you provide. Help us to make room for you to do whatever you want to. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. You can have a seat. I love the simplicity of this story. It's very to the point. It doesn't take a lot of time for details. Uh, it shares with us very quickly what is happening in this lady's life. And ultimately, it gives us this principle that we are going to build our church and I hope our lives on in 2023. And that principle is this. You get what you make room for. You get what you make room for. She got the amount of oil that she had, the amount of jars to fill. As many jars as she had, that's how much oil she got. If she had gotten fewer jars, she would have received less provision from God. If she had gotten more jars, I believe, she would have received more provision from God. It says, as soon as the final jar was filled, the oil stopped flowing. The principle here is you get what you make room for. I don't know that God's going to do anything through us putting prayer partners up here after our third song before our fourth song. I believe he is. I, would know, I truly believe he is or we wouldn't do it. But if we don't do it, there's no way he's going to do it, right? What are we doing? We're making room for God to do something. We can't conjure up a move of God. We can't force God to move. Only God can make the oil flow. But we can present some empty jars. And you can apply that in a million ways in your life. You can apply that in your finances. You can apply that in your body, right? Like if, if your, your New Year's resolution, your, your prayer request is, God, I want to lose weight. In 2023, there's practical steps we got to take, right? We got to get a gym membership, uh, you want, right? You, you want to lose weight in 2023, it's probably going to help to do the Daniel fast. The Daniel fast is not a diet. I'm not telling you to fast to lose weight, but you'll lose weight. Uh, it, it's a good kickstart. Uh, I usually lose like 10 to 12 pounds during the Daniel fast. Some of you in a few weeks, so you're going to miss church for a month, and you're going to come back and be like, oh, man, pastor, you lost weight. What happened? The fast happened, okay? I'll just tell you. Uh, I hated every minute of it. Praise God, hallelujah. Uh, like, it's just the, the reality, right? Uh, so you're going to lose some weight, but that's not why we do it. But if you want to take those steps, whatever they are, you're going to have to do some things. God can do what only God can do, but he always asks us to do something, right? Isn't it interesting? God, God could have done this a million different ways. He could have struck the creditors dead who were going to take her children as slaves, Right? He, he could have moved on their heart, and they could have forgiven the debt. God could have done this so many different ways. He could, have, he could have spoken, and they could have supernaturally forgotten that the debt even existed. But yet God invited the widow in to her own miracle. And time and time and time again, we see the same principle play out. God always participates with us when he does something supernatural. And I believe the reason for that is he loves us. God doesn't want to just do things for us. He wants us to play a part in what he's up to in our lives. You get what you make room for. So I want to read through this story and show you and, and pick out some highlights of what is going on. Before we do, I want to say this. God's provision was directly proportional to her preparation. He provided exactly what she prepared for. Nothing more and nothing less. Had she 
gotten more jars? Had she gone to more neighbors? Had she, notice the man of God says, go to your neighbors. And neighbor is like extremely undefined, right? How do you know who your neighbor is? Uh, Well, it's the people who live next door. We know those are neighbors, but is it the people beyond that? People beyond that? He didn't put a limit on it. She could have defined neighbors much more liberally and gone and gotten way more jars. She could have defined it much less liberally and, and gotten much fewer jars. She received exactly proportionally to what she prepared for. And so I believe that in most things, I'm not going to say never, sometimes God just goes above and beyond, right? Sometimes God's a God of abundance and he just shows out and he just wants to do something in our life and we didn't do anything for it. We didn't, I'm not saying that you earn everything God does in your life. I don't want this to be like some legalistic idea that, man, you've got to do everything perfect for God to move. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is if you want God to move in your life, his word shows us how to line up and prepare for him to move. And God's provision for her was directly proportional to her preparation. This goes very quickly from the tragic story of a widow who's about to lose her sons to a triumphant story of someone walking in the supernatural provision of God. Just like that. We don't know how much time takes place, but we infer in the story it happens very quickly. We don't know if it was a day for her to collect jars or a couple of hours, but wherever it took, she was able to find the man of God very, very easily as soon as the miracle was done. So it happened very quickly, and all of a sudden this story does this 180. I wonder who in our church today needs their story to do a 180. Your story seems to be heading in one direction, and you need God to step in and flip it in the other direction. He's able. Amen? She keeps her kids. She keeps her house. And then they have enough left over to live on. That wasn't even the request, right? This is what's so beautiful is God provides more than she needs, more than she asked for. She just wants to keep her kids. She just doesn't want to lose her sons, but God in his goodness says, I'm going to give you your sons and I'm going to give you enough to take care of them. This is the God that we serve, the God of abundance, the God of more than enough. Who here wouldn't want God to move like that in your life? Who wouldn't want to see God move like that in our church, in this season, in this moment? So how does she do it? How does she position herself for God's provision? I think there's a few keys in the story. Let's go back to the beginning. Verse 1, it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. The first thing that lines us up for a move of God is that making room requires desperation. It requires a recognition in us that we need something from God. It requires a recognition that the life that I have right now isn't satisfactory. That there's something missing, there's something broken, there's something off, there's something fallen, there's something sick that needs to be healed. There's got to be a sense of desperation. God doesn't move in her life just because she has a need, but the need inspires her to get desperate to seek God to do something. See, the danger for us oftentimes is that we're so blessed and we have so much as Americans, that we never really breached that point of desperation. I love in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter, or excuse me, I love in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, right before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Are you hungry today? Are you thirsty today? If you're not, participate in the fast with us for a little bit. You will be. Uh, you, will, you will experience some hunger and some thirst. But he says those who are hungry and those who are thirsty, those are the ones who get filled. It's not the person who has the biggest need. It's the person who has the biggest desperation. That's the one who God shows up in their life. He moves. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this. He says, give us this day our daily bread. For us as Americans, we, we can't conceive of that. We don't pray, God, let me eat today. We got enough food in our fridge, enough stuff in our cabinets. Now we might look at it and be like, oh, no, this looks good. Why? Because we're spoiled, fat Americans, right? Like, because we got more than we need. We're not praying, God, give us this day our daily bread. The first century Christians who Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer to, that was a legitimate need in many of their lives. They were literally trusting God that they could eat that day. And it was that desperation that positioned them to see God move supernaturally in their lives. I'm not opposed to being blessed. I'm not opposed to abundance. Man, God just blessed us with a home that, that we saved $140,000 on. Man, I believe that God moves and God blesses and God provides. Please don't understand me. This is not a poverty message. This is a message about where is our heart. Does our heart recognize we need something from God? Or are we content and happy in all that we have around? Why did God move in this widow's life? Because she was desperate for him to move. Back to our story, verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She says, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. If you're going to make room for God to move, number two, making room requires obedience. Requires obedience. He gave her very specific directions. Directions that in many ways don't make a whole lot of sense, right? Like, here, how, how am I going to rescue my sons? You need to go get empty jars. I'm sure her mind is like, I'm not sure if he heard me correctly. Uh, I don't need a new jar collection in my home. I need my sons to be rescued. Elisha doesn't explain the miracle. He just gives her instructions. He doesn't tell her everything that's going to happen. He just says, here are the steps you need to take. Oftentimes, I've found that in my life, God gives me steps to take without showing me what the end destination is. And the difference is going to be, do I choose to take the steps without the understanding of where it leads? Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to be faithful to what he's setting before me, even though I don't know where it's going? See, we, we, we want to know the end. What, our favorite question is why, right? Like, I, I have a two-year-old who has already entered the why phase. Like, three weeks ago, he just decided why is the only question. Why are you doing that? Why do you want me to do this? Why, 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 why? He just asks why about everything. And I wonder sometimes how often we seem like a little two-year-old to God as he tells us what to do. We're like, why do I need to do this? Why, why, why is this important? Why, why are you asking me this? Why do I need to obey this? And God's just saying, just be faithful to what I'm asking you to do. Be faithful to the step. And when it's time, you're going to see the destination. Making room requires obedience. Every mom said amen. 
God's going to speak something into your heart, I believe, through this series, through this fast, through this season, maybe many things. He's going to lay on your heart an area that you want to see him move in, an area that you need more from him. And he's going to give you a step or perhaps multiple steps to get there. Are you going to follow the steps? Number three, making room creates discomfort. Making room creates discomfort. I imagine this is not a very comfortable request from Elisha. These instructions are not what she wants to hear. She wants to hear, here's, well, your, your, your husband was a man of God. We're going to take up the offering among the other prophets, and we're going to save your sons. And we're going to come through for you. And you, you just stay right there, and we're going to make sure that your sons are okay. Right? She wants to hear how God is going to provide. And instead of hearing how God's going to provide, she hears, i got to go talk to my neighbors. Put, put, remember the context here. Her husband just died. Her sons are about to be taken into slavery. Set aside the, the horrific context of a culture that allows this to happen, of debtor slavery. Like, obviously, that's awful. It's not God's will or God's best, but it was the reality that they faced. Chances are, this lady, if, if we can be honest, she's a little bit of a hot mess at this moment. Right? Like, like her, her, her eyes are swollen. There's snot everywhere. Her hair ain't did, right? Like, her nails are not their best. Like, she is not presentable. She's not at a place where she wants to go face-to-face -face with all of her neighbors. And now I got to go knock on every door. And not only do I got to knock on their door, I got to ask them for something. I got to ask them for empty jars. And I don't even know why. Because that's what Elisha said. What? Right? So she starts asking for empty jars, and I can imagine the neighbor says, well, we got three empty jars right here, take these. And she's like, well, what about that one? It's almost empty. Can't you pour that into another one? Right? Like she starts, she, she, she's desperate. She needs everything she can, and so she's got to speak up and articulate and ask. And the Bible says we have not because we ask not. And so she got what she asked for. God's provision was proportional to her preparation, but it wasn't comfortable. If you're going to make room for God to do something new in your life, something bigger in your life, it's going to be uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. Something new is uncomfortable. Man, it just is when, when we physically move, to go back to that illustration, because I think it's so applicable. Move is a pain in the butt, right? Even a great move, even when you're moving into something better that you're so excited for, it's like, man, I can't believe God provided this for me. It's still like, can't somebody else do this? Like... God, can't you provide some movers in Jesus' name? Like, man, this is, this is not fun. Moving is, is the worst. Once we got moved in, I said this. I said, we're never moving again, right? And I know those are famous last words, right? Like other people have said that, and it's not proven true. Uh, but that's how you feel once you move. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. A move doesn't come easy. It creates discomfort. worth it to see God move in this way. Back to 2 Kings 4 again, look at verse 3. <coughs> it says, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. I had you say it out loud when we read it through together the first time. Empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. The fourth thing that making room requires from us is it requires intentional Making room requires intentional emptiness. He didn't tell her to get full jars. Wouldn't full jars have been easier? 
go do a GoFundMe or a GoFilmy, I don't know. Uh, go, go get some jars, right? Let's skip the pouring of the oil. Let's just get full jars. Let all your neighbors donate some jars of oil, and you can sell it, and we'll just get right to the point. But he tells her to give empty jars. Empty jars. I think there's power in the empty jar. It's opposite of our expectations. Imagine her response. Elisha, I got plenty of empty. He asked, what does she have in her house? She said, I got nothing. I got an empty home except for a little bit of olive oil. She was not lacking for emptiness. Her heart felt empty. She had lost her husband. She's about to lose her sons. Emptiness was in great supply in her life. And yet God said through the man of God, through Elisha, he said, you need some more emptiness. I need you to go collect some emptiness. You need to make some things empty. But there's a principle here. I felt like God gave me Thursday night as I was driving home. And I wrote it down. I put it in my notes app so I didn't lose it. God can't fill what's already there. My God can't fill that which is already full. And so if you need God to move in your life, in your budget, in your calendar, in your schedule, in your family, in your ministry, whatever it might be, the reality is our lives are extremely full. Our lives as Americans are not marked by emptiness. Our lives are marked by fullness. We got full closets, full cupboards, full stomachs, maxed out credit cards, right? We are full everywhere we look. And for God to move, it requires some emptiness. And so she had to go around and start asking for empty jars. I imagine the Bible doesn't say, but I imagine there were a lot of neighbors who were emptying jars to give her some empty jars. I imagine there were a lot of neighbors that she was probably asking and requesting, hey, can't, can't you combine those two? Can't, can't you find something to put that in? I just need one more empty jar. Can you find one more empty jar? Can you make one more empty for me? I need as many empty jars as I can get my hands on. Because God can't fill what's already there. It had to be empty. In order for us to experience the fullness of God, we have to endure the emptiness I'm going to say that again because that's really good and it's really quiet. In order for you to experience the fullness of what God has for you in this new year, the fullness of his calling on your life, the fullness of his provision, of his abundance, everything he wants for you to have, you are going to have to embrace and endure some emptiness in yourself. Some of you are getting it, and some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You got to make room for God to move. And that means you got to start clearing some stuff out. For some, that might mean I, I got to share this message with some young adults Thursday night. I told them for them, perhaps that might mean a relationship that they're in that they don't need to be in. And I made sure I made it clear hey, that's not if you're married. Uh, that's for the unmarried in the room. Because uh, there were some of each that are at that age, right? Most of them aren't married. Some of them are married. So, married people, this one's not for you, right? Okay. Um, but there might be a relationship that needs to be emptied in order for you to make some space for God to give you what you really need. You're never going to walk in His fullness until you embrace some emptiness. It might be in, in your finances. 
your budget might be maxed out. You might need to start cutting some stuff out in your finances so you've got some space for God to allow you to do what he wants to do in your life. It, it might be in ministry, right? Like you might have a calling, you might have a desire to see God use you in a certain way, but you're too busy. You got too many commitments, too much stuff on your calendar, too many things that are already going on in your life. You might need to start cutting some stuff out. For some of us, cutting some stuff out is as simple as just canceling a streaming plan or a social media account, right? We might have to create some emptiness and stuff that's easy that we keep falling back to because we don't see God moving. And the reality is we're spending hours and hours and hours and stuff that doesn't matter and giving God 30 seconds at a prayer over dinner. And we think God's going to do something supernatural. We think God's going to move in our lives. We think he's going to use us in a mighty way. And we got nothing for him. In order to experience the fullness of God, you're going to have to choose to endure some emptying of yourself. Make him some room. Give him a chance. Just carve some time out in your day and allow him to show you what he can do if you give him that time. I want the fullness of God in this moment. I want him to max out what he can do in my life. I want to see what the true potential is in this pastor's life, in this minister's life, in this church's life, in my family. I want to see what he can really do. And that means i got to start emptying some stuff so that God can fill it with something better. What do you need to empty for God to move in a new way in your life in 2023? What if God's up there just looking for some area in your life to bless and he just doesn't have any space to pour it out what if he's just waiting for you to open up some emptiness in your life so he can show you what his fullness is like i think that's the reality for a lot of us for most of us perhaps what do we need to empty it's not always sinful things it's not always things that that we know now if there are those things then yes empty them please quickly get rid of them go to war with them but oftentimes it's, it's just good stuff, but it's not God's stuff. It's decent stuff, but he's got better stuff. And he's saying, just let me show you what I can do in your life. Very quickly as we finish our message today, I want to go back through these four points super fast, and I want to apply them to fasting. These apply far beyond fasting in many, many ways. I don't want to make this just about the fast, but we're starting to fast in about seven and a half hours. And for those of us who are starting to fast in seven and a half hours, I need to give you a little pep talk. It's something to, to fire you up, something you can stand on and believe God for as you suffer through this thing. And so I want to show you this, and maybe you haven't decided to start the fast, but over these next five minutes, God's going to speak to you, and you're going to choose to make some room in this area in your life as well. Let me show you how fasting makes room in our lives. Number one, fasting requires desperation. If you're going to fast, there's a recognition that there's something more God has for me than what I'm walking in. And I'm desperate enough to choose to pursue it. Matthew 5, 6 again says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know what another word for hunger is? Emptiness. What's going to happen? You're going to have an empty stomach. It's not even going to be like fully empty because it's a partial fast. It's going to be empty of the stuff that you like. 
It's going to be empty of, of protein. It's going to be empty of sugar. It's going to be empty of some things that you're used to having, and that's going to create some frustration in you. But understand this, if you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, the promise is you'll be filled. See, if you will empty it, God will fill it. Will you empty it? Fasting requires desperation. Number two, fasting requires obedience. Same way making room requires desperation. Making room requires obedience. God's going to speak something into your heart, an area for you to see him move. It's going to require obedience. How is fasting obedience? Well, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 16, in that same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you fast. Everybody say, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. He didn't say for those of you who fast. He didn't say for those extra spiritual people who are a level above. When you do your fasting, he said to Christians, this is a Sermon on the Mount. This is thousands of people, men, women, and children. He looks out, he says, when you fast, in other words, he's saying, you're going to fast. You're going to follow me. You're going to come after me. This is part of it. This is part of the disciplines of being a Jesus follower. It may not be the one that gets you fired up. It may not be the one that makes you say amen. It may not be the one that you stand on and get tattooed on you and make your Facebook verse. But he says, when you fast. And he gives instructions on what to do when you fast and what not to look like and all those things. But he's saying we are going to fast. Fasting requires obedience. Thirdly, making room creates discomfort. Fasting will create discomfort. I don't even need to teach on that one, right? I can just leave that right there. We all know it. Like you, you understand this. If you've ever fasted, you know it. And if you've never fasted, you've never fasted because you know it, right? Because that's uncomfortable, because that's hard, because that's not something I want to participate in. Not something I want to endure. Let me, let me say this just real carefully and real, real quickly. If you're new here and you're like, these people are crazy. Um, welcome, you're right. We are crazy. Um, we are crazy, but we're not legalistic. If you start the fast and you make it three days, praise God, you fasted for three days. If you make it 10 days, praise God, you fasted for 10 days. The first time I did a Daniel fast, I made it three days and ended in tears in a Taco Bell drive-thru. And that's a true story, and I wish it wasn't. Okay? Uh, so there's a sign in our lobby that says you're free to struggle here. Just take a picture of that and stand on that through the fast. Hey, I'm free to struggle through the fast. There, there was a time, I don't remember how many years ago, six, seven years ago, where about halfway through the fast, I was... I guess it wasn't quite that long ago because my kids were old enough to have this. So five, four or five years ago, um, I was getting some goldfish for my children. And I couldn't resist the temptation of a goldfish. <laughs> I literally cheated on a Daniel fast with goldfish, okay? And I repented and I got back on the fast and I finished after that. But I've got to be honest, okay? We're not legalistic. We're not requiring perfection. We're... I'm going to choose to step out in faith and try something. I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to shoot for something glorious. I'm going to believe God that I could do something I've never done before. But if we trip, if we fall, we get back up and we keep moving. So please don't make this about legalism. It's not, but it will be uncomfortable. Number four, fasting requires intentional emptying. These are the four points about making room. Making room requires desperation, it requires obedience, it creates discomfort, it requires intentional emptiness. Fasting does all of those things. What am I saying? I'm saying fasting is a great way to make room. It's not the only way. 
There's a lot of other ways God's going to lean on you and, and speak to you and lead you to make room. But I can tell you as somebody who's done this fast now, for I think this will be my 12th year in a row, it makes room for God to move. I've seen so many things that God's done. Man, the, the first time I fasted, God called our family to step from, from 10% on giving to 15%. That's uncomfortable. That's intentional emptiness. We literally emptied 5% of our budget when we didn't have it, when we were believing God to open the doors for us to move somewhere. Man, that's intentional emptiness. It's discomfort. So I'm just warning you, if you fast, be ready. God's going to speak. God's going to lead. God's going to tell you some things. He's going to give you some opportunities to step out and see him really move. But man, fasting is such an incredible way to make room for God to speak. In 2017, as we did the Daniel fast, I felt God lay on my heart that there was a great change coming for our church, that we needed to get ready. We needed to make room for a big physical change. So we started raising money to do a renovation in our building, thinking that where we were, we were going to flip the auditorium around and add some extra space in the shopping center that we were in and, and do all these things. But little did we know that God had a much bigger plan to provide this building for us. And because we made room over there for a renovation project, we had the money to come over here and renovate when this building was given to us debt-free, rent-free, mortgage-free. I had no idea what God was up to, but God knew what he was up to. And we made room. And because we made room, God was able to just pour out some oil like we'd never seen. We created some emptiness, and God filled it. If you'll create some intentional emptiness in your life, God will fill it. But you'll never experience the fullness of God without experiencing the emptiness yourself. You get what you make room for. I hope and I pray that God's already laid some areas on your life, some steps, some ways that you can make room, some discomfort you can endure some intentional emptiness you can embrace, some obedience you can walk in, some desperation in your life that you're already experiencing that says, okay, God, I'm willing to make room. And I'm trusting you, I'm believing you to do what only you can do. See, I can't fill your life. I can't fill your marriage. I can't fill your bank account. I can't fill any of those things. And neither can you. And God's fullness is so much better than our fullness. It's so much better than what we can experience without him. But we'll never experience his fullness if we don't make room. Would you pray with me, church? Father?